Good evening. Thank you for coming. Discussing Srila Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha. We're still in the center section of the Sandarbha, and at this stage, Jiva Goswami is pounding in the post of deliberate understanding that the Supreme Lord has a transcendental form which is uh, distinct from the forms that we are accustomed to within this material world. This concept of the Lord actually having a spiritual form um, is somewhat difficult for a certain class of transcendentalists to fully comprehend. They have a difficult time thinking that the unlimited, supreme, all-powerful, all-pervading, omniscient, omnipresent, uh, supreme can manifest a form that appears to be localized, like in our vicinity, and still maintain all of the characteristics of the qualities that we attribute to the supreme being all powerful how you how, how how can you put all the power into one little place how can you put all the knowledge into one little place all the all the beauty into one little place. So this concept of the Supreme accepting a form, and especially there being a specific characteristic of that form that's been experienced by sadhus and sages, It's it's kind of a, a real, we're really pushing the border when we come to this, this kind of apprehension of spirituality. Of course, sometimes we just take it for granted. We've come into a sangha and, okay, Krishna's a person. We just, okay, simple. What's what's the question of the Lord not being a person or not having an individual form? But there's so much more involved in that understanding. And that's hopefully what we're going to be able to come away from this Bhagavat Sandarbha having a better grasp of. That the Supreme and all that is the Supreme Absolute Truth can appear localized and that supreme absolute everything all-encompassing can be his own individual person and yes i know and he does appear in a female form at certain times so it's okay all right he has a specific name when he appears in that form 
Mohini Murti. So he appears in a very beautiful form that even attracts that even attracts Lord Shiva, who is the topmost yogi who's not attracted by anything in the world of man. Shiva's known for this. So Krishna arranged everything when he appeared in this form so that it wouldn't bewilder. He knew he wanted he wanted Lord Shiva to maintain his supreme yoginess because he's known in the world as the topmost yogi the topmost renunciate so he has he has a reputation to maintain so because of this reputation lord shiva has when mohini murti made a manifestation amongst the demigods and that's a whole pastime. We won't go into the whole pastime. But just a little bit of the aftermath of that pastime is Krishna, Mohini, Murti, specifically arranged everything so Shiva was not present. And therefore Shiva's good reputation could be maintained. Well, Shiva, after he found out about this form that the Lord had manifest, he said, why did you cheat me? I mean, really, why was I left out? I should have been allowed to see the form like all the other demigods. I'm a guna avatar. I'm, you know, I'm better. I, I, my position is more profound than all the demigods combined, really. I have a very unique position. So he asked Krishna, can I see this form? But it was in private at that time. So there was no one around. So Krishna, he, he, he granted, yes, you can see my female form, if you desire. And all of a sudden, they were having a discussion and Shiva hears the tinkling of ankle, ankle bells and it just completely captivates his mind he hasn't even seen the lord's form yet he just hears the ankle bells and he starts losing all of the yogi control that was lord shiva and is lord shiva started to slip away from him he became a little bit uh, well he became a lot lust started to build up in him now for a yogi lust is not a good thing it can really uh, lead to problems uh, in the world of yogic renown, which is the world that Shiva controls and what to speak of austerities. I mean, if you've ever seen the followers of Shiva, I mean, these people are not lightweight yogis. I mean, they, they cover their body with ashes. They, they're very heavy, heavy people. They come out from the mountains in India every 10 years is it for the 12 years for the big a big get together of all spiritualists all spiritualists in india go to the confluence of these three holy rivers and they they have a big party and you know it's a big get together and all the different all of them are trying to to influence 
the others that their path is the best. <laughs> we're the most we're the most spiritual of all the spirituals. We're the most austere of all the austere. We're the most mystical of all the mystics. We're the most this, we're the most that. Some of, they have these rishis that ride around on elephants and they have all their followers and gurus will come in with 10 or 20,000 followers, you know, coming behind them. And then in come the Shivites and everybody parts, the, the waves part, the waves of all the people part because the Shivites come through. I've never been there, but I've heard it's, it's quite a spectacle, yes. So you all believe in that? You all believe that those people are the best devotees or the best, they have the best spiritual life better than anyone else? Their main focus is on mystic yoga and austere, austere life. Acquiring mystic powers through austerity. We're devotees. Nadjanam, Nadjanam, Nasundurim, Kavitram, Vajagadisha. I don't care for all the power in the world. I only want to be able to chant the holy name purely and become a lover of the Lord. That's my only desire. So the devotee's only desire is not for any name or fame or, or power, but and and the best yoga, the best bhakta, the best devotee in material creation is Lord Shiva. But he's in charge of the mode of ignorance, like we were just talking. And that's his duty. That's like his day job. So he's loving Krishna the best of any devotee of Krishna. But his followers are worshipping and following him not to learn how to love Krishna, which he'd love to teach them how to love Krishna, but they're not interested in that. They want his other aspect, which is, you know, the control of all the material, all the material yogic cities. So Shiva, he heard the tinkling of the ankle bells and he, be, he lost his composure. And then he saw the form of the Lord this female form of the Lord, and he became overcome with a desire to enjoy that form, as men often do, and he ran after the Lord. He ran all over the universe after <laughs> the Lord. Any place that we find on the planets in the universe, deposits of gold, Transcendentally, that gold is the semen of Shiva that he lost in lust in following after this form of the Lord. Mythology or reality? What's truth here is the fact that the Lord's form is not material in any way. It is so transcendentally enticing whether male or female, that it can over be, overcome even someone as powerful as the Lord Shiva. 
so this section of the of the Bhagavat Sandarbha is very significant. And there's a lot of post-pounding here. Repetition of the ideas, bringing out this this tattva, these truths regarding the Lord's form, and and really using the Bhagavat Purana, the Srimad Bhagavatam, the topmost evidence for the devotees to show that the Lord's form is in no way material. So we're going to dive back in for a little bit and then come up for air. So in the Bhagavad Gita, there's a verse in the 15th chapter. Mamayvam so jiva loke jiva uta sanatana manasastanindriyani prakriti stani karsati. Krishna is speaking to Arjuna and he says, the living entities in this material world are my eternal parts and parcels. They're an integrated part of me, is basically what Krishna is saying. Mamai, mine, they're mine. They belong to me. They're part of me. It's not just a separation that here's God and here's us. No, Krishna is saying in this verse from the Gita to Arjuna, Mamayavam so jiva loke jiva bhuta sanatana. They're an integrated part of my very life, of my very being. That's how close I am to you and to everybody. He's talking to Arjuna, but he means mamayavam so everybody. Mamayavam so jiva loke, all the jivas. They're so close to me. Manasastan Indriyani Prakriti Stani Karsati, but they don't know it. In the material world, they are entangled with the mind and the five cognitive senses, which are rooted in phenomenality. And we can't deny it. We sit down and we want to contemplate the nature of ourself, but there are these five cognitive senses that are constantly being tugged at by the environment. We hear the sweet chirping of the birds and the running of the water in the brook and the cows mooing, and, and immediately the meditation, the concentration on our spiritual being, either personal or extended to the Supreme Lord personally, it's pulled away by the, by the hearing. Or we see something. But you can go into a meditative state. Absolutely. Where you don't have your senses involved. That's the ideal state. The samadhi is actually a state where the external senses are turned off. But the internal senses, the same senses, but the spiritual aspect of them that can look inward can also smell, but the sense there are of the spiritual realm and the sights there and the vision and and the 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 perfect the perfect practitioner and here again when we say practitioner it sounds like well we have to practice 
If I practice long and hard enough and I apply myself just this way, I'm going to enter into samadhi and I'm going to be able to see the form of the Lord in my heart. I'm going to be able to contemplate my relationship with Krishna. I'm going to be able to fix my mind on one of the Lord's regatmikas, his eternal associates, and, and follow after them. But the truth of the matter is it is not a mechanical process, although it can appear mechanical because we're using mechanical senses. Let me expand upon that a little bit. When we look to the practice of the devotional practice, there's a stage called practice, sadhana bhakti, devotional service in practice, devotional service in ecstasy, and devotional service in pure love of God. And these are three broad categories. So in the beginning, there is a practice. And that practice is what? How do we practice? We use those senses that are attracted to phenomenality. So the mind goes. The mind goes out to phenomenality. And Krishna is saying, you, you're not... Re Arjuna, just see. Everybody is so close. They're part of me. And the love that I feel for my parts and parcels and the love that is available to them and they should feel for me is, is interfered with by the mind and the senses. We become entangled, he says. He uses the word entangled with the mind and five cognitive senses which are rooted in phenomenality. So back to the practice of sadhana bhakti. Sadhana bhakti is that stage of practice. And what is really that stage of practice? It's taking those, the mind and those five senses and engaging them spiritually. So the same ear that's hearing the chirping of the birds and the running of the brook and the cows mooing and all those things that are drawing us out the guru, the sadhu, the shastra is saying, no, use the ear to hear the holy name of the Lord. Use the ear to, to listen to the sadhus. Use the ear to hear the songs about the Lord and his associates in kirtan. Use the eyes to see the deity, to see the, to see the devotees, to see the guru to see the Rathiatra festival, to see all the devotees gathered together at different holy days. Use the tongue to taste the feast that's been prepared for the Lord after he's eaten it and, and enjoy that festival. Devotional life is a 24-7 festival when you really see what the sadhus and the gurus trying to do. Use your ear, use your eye, use your nose, Use your tongue, use your sense of feel, to use all these things in the service of the Lord. That's devotional service, and we have to practice that, because guess what? The ear does want to hear the chirping birds. 
with the 1960s hippie music. <laughs> you know, and the nose does like to smell and the, you know, so the senses are trying to drag us away and the first step is to get the senses centered on the Lord and his sound vibration and the narration of his pastimes and the the service of his deity and the service of his devotees and the service of the guru and the and and studying the shastra and gradually what happens when we do that doesn't happen overnight but gradually step by step that sensual engagement in spiritual phenomenality in the books, in the deity, in the sadhus, in the holy name, chanting attentively the holy name, doing these things gradually starts to give us a spiritual relish. A taste for spiritual enjoyment and the hearing becomes much more pleasing and overwhelming. The seeing becomes much more pleasurable the tasting, well, luckily, it's pleasurable from the very beginning. <laughs> the smelling. So we can see the senses gradually become more and more involved in spiritual activity. And the relish develops. So all those beginning stages that we talked about in the last class, shraddha, faith, Sarusanga, Bhajna Kriya, Anartha Nivriti, all the bad habits going away as we develop good habits of hearing, chanting, remembering. All of a sudden, the set, we're turning the senses towards the Lord under the direction of the Guru. In the beginning, it's a struggle. I don't want to do that. The mind saying, are you crazy? Come on, there's movie at the theater there's a bar we can go to. There's, you know, men or women to be had. There's, come on, what is this? Why do you want to go to the temple? Why do you want? And there's a struggle in the beginning, but gradually we start to see there's a higher taste, developing a higher taste in spirituality. And then Anartha Nivriti, all those bad habits, they have less and less of an influence. And as they have less and less of an influence, we start to come to the platform of steadiness. And that steadiness matures into a relish of the spiritual activities that all of a sudden, all the struggle is now an enjoyment. I want to chant. I want to read. I want to serve the deities. I want to serve the guru. I want to do some some physical service, mental service. I, and the but the taste is entirely different. All the sensual tastes that were here in the world, they all of a sudden turn to black and white in comparison with the technicolor of spiritual taste that we're allowed when we engage in the process. So. Krishna is trying to tell that to Arjuna here in this verse. I am so close 
but you think I'm so very, very far away. And the reason you're feeling that I'm so far away is your senses aren't turned towards me. Turn your senses towards me. Tadvidi pranipate na pariprashnena sevaya. Find a spiritual master, inquire from him submissively about me. He's going to tell you all you want to know about me. All of it. Serve him, inquire submissively. He can give you the vision. Darshan, you can have the vision, my vision, by his instructions and association. So it goes on to say, liberated devotees go a step further. Liberated devotees. So we're talking those people that have passed the struggle. Even the self is loved only for the sake of the supreme self. They come to a platform. We were talking about self-interest. So everybody's self-interested. We discussed this earlier with this Anucheda. I mean, truly, if you look deep at the motivating factor, the intent of everyone's actions in the world of men, even the what appears to be the most selfless acts, at their core generally, that doesn't mean there aren't exceptions. There can be that selfless man that runs into the burning building not for name and fame, but he actually feels, I want to save the people there. I want to save the child that I hear screaming. There's an exception. But for the most part, everything we do is at its core self-motivated and we don't see Krishna as our self of all selves. What's being spoken of here is the liberate, the devotees that have really, they've gone through all the stages. They've gone through the stages of progressive devotional practice. And they've come to a stage of of that higher appreciation. Call it a higher taste. We used to distribute a book called Higher Taste. And They've come to the stage of the higher taste so much so that they do come to a level of absolute selflessness in service. Absolute selflessness. Even the self is loved only for the sake of the supreme self. I will dress myself nicely so Krishna can enjoy looking at me. I will speak nicely So Krishna will want to hear the sweetness of my words. I will sing nicely. Everything that I'll do is so that he will feel better about himself. Of course, that's a loving reciprocation because can we love, can we be more selfless than the supreme selfless? He's the supreme in everything. So he, he wins that game too, but not entirely because he says of anything 
I'm sold out to my devotees. And at the very height, the very center of the Srimad Bhagavatam, he admits it to the gopis who are his most selfless servants, his girlfriends, who have forsaken everything for him. I can't repay you. I can't repay your love. I thought I was the king of love, the king of rasa. I give everything, everything to everyone. I am the king of benedictions. No one can want any benediction that I can't fulfill perfectly. But I can't repay you. And thus we have the advent of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Well, I'll try to do something on your behalf. Let me come and tell the world that there's no better lovers of me than you. And this is the height of confidential spiritual knowledge. And thus we have the advent of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Uddhava speaks in the 10th canto. He was sent to Vrindavan and he says the following about these lovers of Krishna that can't be repaid. These cowherd women have justified their human bodies on this earth for they have achieved the most elevated feelings of love for Govinda, the self of the unlimited creation. This is something aspired for by the sages who view material existence with fear and by ourselves as well. Oh, what need is there for a life as long as that of Brahma for one who is immersed in the infinite joy of hearing about the Lord? In describing, this is, Jiva goes on in this Anucheta, and he says, in describing Brahma's vision, remember this Anucheta began with Brahma's vision, way back when. In describing Brahma's vision, Sukadeva Goswami was simultaneously blessing Maharaj Parikshit. And what was the nature of his blessing? He was allowing Maharaj Parikshit to experience what Brahma experienced through the sound vibration of the Bhagavat. That he too may realize the form of Krishna as seen by Brahma. This is what the bona fide spiritual master can do. Simply, as I said, in his pronunciation of Krishna, he can impart upon the sincere student the blessing of having all the revelation that is available in the Bhagavad. And, and he can give us that. That brings me back to what we were touching upon a little earlier. We were touching upon the fact that it's not a mechanical process, although in the beginning it does appear to be based on mechanics, the mechanics of using the senses in the Lord's service. 
But as we advance, it it as we as the guru sees that we're willing to go through whatever it requires, he takes compassion on us. And then entrance into contemplation of our spiritual position, deep meditation, ending in samadhi, entering into the aprakat lila of the Lord in meditation, even though we're sitting in the world of men, that becomes available. But it becomes available through the mercy of the guru. He allows us that compassionate nature. He can... And he can, although it's not, it's there's been a change in the parampara, the, the, the definite underlying features of one's spiritual identity are revealed by the guru. Now he may say that I'm going to reveal them, the holy name is going to reveal this and that, and he... Of course, the holy name can. It, the, the, the guru is simply, the guru is one. The guru includes Krishna in our heart. Or he can say, you are in so-and-so's family, like Krishna at the point of Gopakumar's uh, go, go, go entrance in, entering into the Aprakat Leela. And then he went back to the, anyway. You get the point. You you need to know what who you live with in there and what your service is and what your family is. So all these details become part of that meditation. So Gopakumar is entering in through meditation into the Aprakat Leela and seeing his place in that atmosphere. That meditation is not Although it appears mechanical, although it, it appears that all these details are given like that, it's much more than that. It's the merciful dispensation. And that's what really comes out that starts to the beginning manifestations of that merciful manifestation, dis, dispensation, coming down to the sincere student begin at the stage of Nista. When the, when the earthly, when all in this environment no longer, nadanam, najanam, nasundarim, kavitramba, jagat ishikamaye. I don't want any number of followers. I don't want, I don't want any of the wealth of the world. I don't want any beautiful women. I don't want any great men. I just want you birth after birth, which means I don't even want liberation. I don't care of the fact that I may be born again and again in this world, as long as I can, as Bhaktivinod said, well, if I'm a rodent in a devotee's house, I'll be a happy, uh, that, I'll be sa very satisfied with that. That would be good for me. How good for me? It, it would be ideal for me. So if I don't get a human form, then any form where I'm associated with Krishna's pure unalloyed devotees, that form I would be 
pleased to take. I have a question. Yes. Um, so the guru is like a man of God, that he's a conduit that God works through. I mean, because we can actually, you know, talk to God and have a personal relationship with him on our own. Mm -hmm. So what is it we're looking for? You know, we're looking in the, guru. in the guru. What we're looking for is a refinement of how to use that conduit. A refinement. It's a lot easier to learn how to play a violin by going to learn it from somebody that's played a violin for their whole life. Now we can pick it up. We can push the bow across it. We can move our fingers. And yes, we could, after excruciating, if you've ever heard somebody learning a violin, <laughs> excruciating months of practice, start to get the basics. Or we can go to somebody that's already very accomplished in playing the violin, and we can sit down and say, can you teach me? And let him show us. You start like this. I want you to, the bow has to move across the strings just like this to pull out the sound. So it's not like this, and it's not like this, and the, you know, the, the, the elbow has to move like this. You have to start feeling the string through coming through your arm or whatever he says. I've never picked up a violin. I wouldn't even know. Play but, the violin and, and, and you are, we already have a teacher, which is God. Mm -hmm. And we rely on him. So, and we rely on him and we rely, what, we rely also on what he what he's said to other students. So he, he's told other students, please, I want you to find a guru who represents me. He says it in the Bhagavad Gita. Tadvidi pranipatena pariprashnena sevaya upadakshantite jnanam janinas tatvadarsina. If you really want to know the, know the truth about me, approach somebody who you can see knows that truth. Inquire from that person submissively. Render some service to that person because he's giving you me so you respect him as much as you respect me. He will show you all the truth. So, it's a transparent via media. The, the primary word there is transparent. You hit on the transparency. Yes, you do have a direct connection with the Supreme Lord. And yes, there are certain people who can, independent of a teacher, directly enter into the mysteries of knowing the Lord completely. But those virtuoso spiritualists who can pick up the violin from the beginning of life and playing it, play it without even going to a teacher were in all likelihood playing the violin hundreds of lifetimes before. So when we think, and we do, you know, that, you know, perhaps I can just go, the fact of the matter is, we do it, we accept a guru primarily out of respect 
for what Krishna is asking us to do. We accept that this Bhagavad Gita, that the Shastra is actually him trying to come out and reach and touch humanity. So if he says, if you want to know the truth about me, approach a spiritual master, inquire there, we say, well, okay, if that's your recommendation, I'll do that because that I have that much love for the message I know that that person will want to give me about you. Could I do it myself? Yes, but he doesn't ask us to do it ourselves because he's set up this system and the system is called Guru Parampara. So, it's just a matter of courtesy. It's like in a family. In a family, we he's go... The Godfather. He's the great-grandfather. And he says that in the Bhagavad Gita too. He says, I'm the father of the father of the father. You know, so you... You want to respect what Krishna has set up. And he set up this system to, to deal with spiritualizing human society. And we read in the scriptures, sometimes he does come and he is the guru himself. He does that. Sometimes he sends someone else to act on his behalf. There's no difference between the two. And sometimes for very unique individuals, they will. But there's a lot to be learned from the Bhagavatam and from somebody of the caliber of Jiva Goswami. When they talk to us about somebody like a Sukadev who's already realized their self but not realized how to fully love God, He's already completely content. He's walking naked in the world. But when his father sent his disciples to the woods to chant the verses from the Bhagavatam, even the bliss of his own self-knowing and experiencing was overpowered by the words of the Bhagavatam. And Krishna has given us these Vedas, the, the Bhagavatam. So he's given the guru, he's given the Veda. He wants to help us along. And he wants to make the journey as painless and as quick as possible. That's why we take a guru. Can we pick up the violin and practice? Yes. Of course. It's just that, that I receive something from everyone. Okay. And even out in the world in the past, that I've received good things from different individuals um, so just relying on one person to teach me is kind of strange well when you meet that one person there'll be not a question in your mind I hope that happens it happened to me so it happened probably to a lot of devotees they'll say uh, you know or sometimes it comes out gradually but what the guru is in the in the assembly of devotees, he's that one devotee who's 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 taken and doing. He's leading us, and it's everyone's content with that leadership, and everyone's hearing attentively there. Yes, 
you'll notice in the 12th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, there's this whole section on uh, taking learning lessons from from the from our le- from our involvement in life. So the the uh, the 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 devotee in that section, he did he learned about everything all the all the particulars not all of them but he learned a, a lot about the particulars of spiritual life just from the environment, without a specific teacher. But a, eventually, the specific teacher will start to reveal himself a little bit head and shoulders above the rest as far as we go. Not everybody accepts the same guru. Every People accept different gurus. But they uh, we'll, we'll see. There's something significant there to such an extent. And remember, the guru is is one, but he's also manifests in different forms. So in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, we hear things like the Shiksha Guru, the, the Guru that teaches us details, and the Diksha Guru, the Guru that teaches us our spiritual position through mantra. Uh, you should not look at them differently. They're equally important to our spiritual life. What to speak of, we look at Krishna in the heart and how he's putting us in circumstances to, for our own betterment, although sometimes it's a, it's a bitter pill to swallow. And we look at, uh, you know, the actually the more spiritual advancement a person makes, the truth of the matter is they see guru everywhere. And Krishna's abode is the land of gurus. We are constantly learning and serving all the residents there. I feel like everyone's a guru to me. But I'm at a point of not having a whole lot of knowledge about the Bhagavad Gita. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But I have a spiritual connection, so I can fit in. Thanks for spending your Saturday evening with me. Uh, are there any questions? Mm-hmm. Another thing that I found about the guru is that one person where you you feel well. I want to love Krishna the way that person loves. Like I want to love God the way that person loves God. Now, there's many, many, many. There's unlimited relationships that we have with God. But what does that mean? Like I have a relationship with God, but when you, you know, I found somebody who the way he loves God is, oh my gosh I want to love God that way and it doesn't mean that that's the best way for everyone but that's what's attracting me is that wow, I want to love God like like he does, so then he becomes my teacher because then he teach, can teach me how to love God in that way and that's that's, I'll throw another big Sanskrit word at you in regards to what she just said. It's, we're called Raganuga Bhaktis. We follow the loving relationship, Raga, Nuga, the way that that love manifests in that individual, she said, the guru. Raganuga Bhakti means we follow their Bhakti, their Rag, Raganuga Bhakti. So, 
we're following the rog of somebody's who is a guru that just, as she said, captures the imaginative way that you want to serve God. Not imagine, but the, the realistic. It's, that's just a, a, a use of terminology, not that it's make-believe, make but they actually are manifesting in themselves, and you hear it in the way they're talking about God. I want to love him that way. So that's Raganuga Bhakti. I want to follow that rag. And there, that's why I said there's many different gurus. But one will stand head and shoulders above the rest for your approach to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Are there any other comments, questions? I thank you so much for your association.